Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 120. Only 300 more to our magic number. That's going to be, in my calculations, what, about 10 years at this rate? Um, although I am going to try and speed up some episodes moving into the winter, try to get two a week, uh, as we did, I think, in previous winters. It becomes a lot easier when people don't have kids to look after and all of their jobs and other daytime responsibilities. Um, yeah, I'm not going to mention the weather this week. I know I do every bloody week, but it's just too depressing. It's just too depressing. I know the world is on fire right now, and I am sorry for that, and I have great sympathy and empathy. But I haven't seen the sun in quite a while in the north, so it was wonderful to get away this weekend at Product Earth. We had one wet day, two very dry, beautiful days. Uh, great attendance, good numbers, uh, brilliant different stalls uh, and exhibitors from around the country, around the world even. We had some guys fly out from Cali, which was pretty fun. We had some of the guys out from Barcelona and from the club scene down there, which was awesome. Uh, beautiful panels in terms of the diversity of the conversations that were had. There was a lot of new information that was presented by different organizations. And I think uh, for the first time in many years, a consensus was found, well, at least on the panels that I participated in, um, which will be available very soon as the MPK guys, as you may have seen with Stephen Brooks last week's episode, in last week's episode, uh, they'll be filmed, they've filmed everything that happened at Product Earth. So there will be uh, plenty for you guys to catch up on if you couldn't make it. Uh, but yeah, thank you to everyone that called by the stall and uh, said hello and whatnot. Very much enjoyed uh, the crack as always. Very overstimulating. Had hundreds of conversations, but enjoyed every single one of them. Uh, great to interact with the public and to you know get out of this tiny room and feel like there's a bigger world out there. So appreciate everyone coming up and saying you know they listen to the podcast and you know they appreciate the work that I do because it can feel quite lonely in this little room. Uh, yeah, right up coming soon to the simplelife.com. Do check it out. And without further ado, we'll move on to today's guest, who is a UK-based plant scientist specializing in molecular, molecular genetics. I do apologize, folks. I've got a cold, as you can probably hear. Um, they're the chief scientific officer at Pharma Seeds and the other chair of the CIC, which is the Cannabis Industry Council, plant science working group, as well as a contributing author to the Cannabis Health and Cannabis Wealth magazines. They are Dr. Gary Yates. How are you doing, brother? Yes, I'm very well. Simple. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on. I've been kind of looking forward to this for some time. I think we had a, a swing and a miss getting me on before, so I'm glad to finally get here and, and get into the bones of what's happening in our crazy industry. Indeed, indeed. Uh, I think I need to send Microsoft an, an email. It seems my uh, website address is still getting flagged. I think I end up in the spam boxes with all of those, oh, I'm so horny emails that we all seem to find <laughs> getting hundreds of, or is that just me? I don't know. If it, maybe maybe not. Who knows? Maybe I've just outed myself there, but I've had the same email address for about 20 years, so that could explain some shit right there. Um, yeah, so <laughs> did absolutely crash this off a cliff. Um, let's, get, let's get back on track. Uh, so, yeah, for people that don't know you, sort of when and how did you first get involved in cannabis? Um, professionally speaking, uh, well, we're on the record, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you can you can just allegedly when you first personally got involved, but yeah, yeah well, both I, if you're I mean, it's probably worth mentioning that you know it's a very typical story. Like as a kid, you know, as a teenager, you're exposed to these things, and especially more so in certain communities than others. And coming from a very working class background in Scot West Central Scotland, it was something that was readily available in every other household. You know, you could not avoid it if you tried. Um, and the funny thing was, like, my experience of it back then was very much a dividing line as it is now. In some some respects, it was the like, people who thought it was the absolute devil, and then people who revered it really highly. And a lot of them in those communities abused it, though, at the same time. And although 
you could draw a line under what is abuse and what is you know heavy medication. You know, I think it's, it's, it's quite an interesting thing. But that, I mean, that's what kicked it off essentially. The next big milestone for me was um, was during a trip to Amsterdam um, as an adult, mid twenties. Um, tried psilocybin as a heavy dose for the first time, and made the realization whilst there that not only did I want to study genetics, that but actually what one of the driving things for me into that line of study was why does this plant do what it does and no other plants tend to do it do that you know it was like a simple as simple an observation is why is this plant so so unique in that respect and then after that trip within a year i was studying genetics at glasgow university um and then my, basically my career path turned me right down genetics then into molecular biology focusing on plant science plant pathogen interactions studied wheat and rice and maize and all sorts of things like that um at durham actually which is something we should, we should come back to um and then yeah and then worked as a researcher at york university and then entered into the the, the, the industry proper around 2020 um yeah so it was basically into that straight into this job brought in as someone who would lead a breeding program do a bit of r d and um, basically be the you know the kind of figurehead for the knowledge base of the of the plant and its outputs and that's that that job's taken me in all sorts of different twists and turns as a startup pharmacies was never fully established when I came in and you know most other companies in this space as well you know there's that the industry's been slow to move over the last three years in a lot of respects so mm -hmm. it's been it's been challenging in that respect but that's given me exposure to a lots of other sides of the industry which I didn't expect to get upon the interview of this job if you know what I mean which was then working with the sister company seedsmen and doing a lot more stuff with the recreational cannabis in the US and things like that, which again, you know, you know what it's like in the UK climate. It's very full pass sometimes to talk about recreational use and things like mm. that. And it's I found all that stuff really weird because you can't have a complete conversation without filling in all the blanks. You know, it's a super important facet because again the my first entry into it although you can put on the phd and the doctor title and say you're a plant scientist not with smoking weed on the street corners as like a 15 year old that's that, that's the mm. reality of of most of the entry to to cannabis and it can't it, it can't and shouldn't really be ignored you know it's something that we should be able to talk about without you know really being marginalized for that kind of thing um mm. because it's it's how we know the plant because of the prohibition that's come before us you know that's that's what we were forced to, to do to experience the plant and i'm not saying it's the best way to get, be introduced to the plant but it's certainly again something that we've all experienced um yeah mm. yeah yeah um just going on to that last point now I, I would agree that there are now there is a drawing line in the uk between the people who kind of grew up and experienced the legacy culture and cannabis under prohibition and those that have experienced cannabis only as a private prescription medication here in the UK for the past sort of five years. And there seems to be quite a, a roughing, like an, an incompatibility in a lot of circles between these two entities because of a lack of humility on both sides, of an inability to understand the other, that a lot of the people that are coming into this space since the law has changed don't understand that all of the great work that they are doing also occurred under legacy, that actually most of the knowledge that was acquired, most of the techniques were perfected under prohibition. 
And it just seems that there is this growing gulf between these two realities. Um, as you say, that there is this taboo around, if you want to call it recreational or adult use or, you know, non-medicinal consumption, uh, however we want to sort of term it, that it's it's so individualized that, I mean, this is something that we, we probably will get onto or we could just get onto now if, if there's something in the preamble we discussed of the idea of cannabis flower being prescribed is in abstract and incredibly insane thing when you really understand the 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 biology uh, the botany uh, the taxonomy of the plant its expressions and the necessity of the pharmaceutical paradigm uh, sorry the pharmacological paradigm to have single symptom managing single compounds and cannabis just doesn't seem to want to to fit into these boxes all that we know prior to the law change new legislation around medicinal access again, came from whole plant. So there are mm. so many entities out there that are now saying, oh, it's CBD this, it's THC this, or it's this cannabinoid, this compound. And we're just, again, it feels we're golfing too fast that there is this line where anything before that, and uh, that's not real, that's not, it, it's not to be trusted. You know, it's, it's, we can only trust now the academic scholastic data that has then arisen since, which again is based off everything that has been, but it just, there seems to be that, 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 that gulf, you know? Yeah, absolutely, and that that's why it's kind of that's why it's kind of confusing for me why it's it's been allowed the cannabis flowers being prescribed because here's the first the first exposure I ever got maybe like twenty years ago of cannabis being used in a very therapeutic way and I can't I'm sorry for the vagueness of this reference right but maybe not twenty years ago because it was on YouTube but it was early days of YouTube right and what it was was some some young girl and she had some kind of muscle issue. And our dad grew plants and he juiced them and he fed her raw juice every day and she was fully mobile and fully able to function with the juiced cannabis plant, but without it, she was bed-bound. And I remember looking at that and going, whoa, that's like, what the hell? We don't even, we're sitting here burning it and then this this is life-saving medicine as a, as a, as a, basically as a smoothie, right? And then fast forward to my entry to the, the industry in 2020, one of the things that, I quickly realized based on a lot of, well, not a lot, but a few really detailed patient cases was the cannabinoid acids are way more therapeutic than than, than the industry gives them credit for. I think they're essential. I think it justifies a lot of the behavior of consumption in some respects as well. But back to the point was the fact that cannabis flower juice is not available on prescription, but cannabis flower for vaporizing is, for me, is a juxtaposition because I was only in the industry a few months when I realized the value of the cannabinoid acids, which I didn't realize before. Was, you know, I started properly focusing on the study of the plant and what it did mm-hmm. at that point. But that also involves speaking to people. This was the people who were on the NHS prescriptions, but also people who had to self-farm and self-administer. And that was where most of the insight came from on the on the cannabinoid acids because they can't get those by prescription, and that's what they had realised is the, the the valuable part of the medicine. Mm. So, you know, I think we are again not getting the best out of the plant, not only because we're overlooking that, but because the fact that, you know, that, sorry, I'm jumping around a wee bit, simple because I want I wanted to insert into that conversation, people's ability to grow their own plants freshly juiced would solve a lot of problems, I think, mm-hmm. in, in respects of, of, of prescription cannabis. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it's not more seriously considered. 
I don't know why it's again one of those things. No, you can't mention that. Don't 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 bring that up because mm-hmm. you just be shunned. And it's just like, but it's it's so essential to the argument. You know, it's it's yeah. I think one of the reasons we can't have that conversation the same with patients growing their own comes down to a consequence of either an ignorant, willful ignorance, or an oversight, or true malice within the creation of the legislation. Anybody sitting around on Google for a day or two, really trying to deep dive uh, and going beyond what is just the surface level of bullshit will very quickly start to get access to information in academic spheres about what cannabis is, about what it can do, about the endocannabinoid system and what that truly is. And because of the unique nature and profile of our endocannabinoid systems, the standardization that is required of modern pharmacology just will not happen with cannabis, even with single compounds, CBD or THC. The variance in it uh, is is massive. There are so many, uh, sorry, the variables around it are massive. So they don't want to have these conversations about it because then if we look at it, okay, it's not, if it's not then a specific thing in the same way other pharmacology works, what is it? And I would say that it comes down to a statement that I probably haven't said in a while, so this might not come out correct. Um, But cannabis is an essential vitamin and nutrient. It's a base requirement for essential human health. It is no different than an amino acid or a vitamin or mineral. I think if we look at cannabis like that, it's effectively like we just find out about scurvy. And what we've done is gone, dudes, dudes, if you extract from oranges, right, and this, and we can sell them this when they get sick. No, we've identified, it's it's not working. Do you know what I mean? And so I think that that's personally is the greatest lie of of medical, if you want to call it equals medical or medicinal cannabis, is that it has to be this kind of, oh, no, here and there. It'll work ubiquitously across the board for anybody. It, it's almost like it's going to bad language, bad science, almost like a stem cell, as it were, or like a filler. It just fills into the system where it needs, well, if you're taking that kind of full plant extract, you will then, same with vitamins, you'll just piss away what you don't need, as it were. And having the non-psychoactive element means we can't control it as a drug because it's not psychoactive. So that means everybody would have access to it. So it has to be a psychoactive drug because then we have to control it, which means we have to limit it, which means, oh, we have to profit from it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. In my opinion, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, like the fact that you have such a, a variable output as well, like, I mean, how how the hell am I trying to say this, right? So quickly just explain a little bit about the physiology of the plant, right? Like if you leave a plant to grow to its natural architecture, as in you don't top it, you don't tie it down or anything like that, you'll tend to find the gradient, you know, top to bottom, changes in cannabinoid levels, changes in terpene levels, usually with the most lit parts of the plant producing higher amounts of overall compounds, you know, compared to the undersides of the plants. But that's not a strict rule either. Um, it's very much a, a microenvironment reaction that the plant has. It's highly variable, way more variable than any of those other plants or species that I've studied anyway that does not seem even close. The only other comparable species is humans and their adaptability, you know, which is interesting. But the point I wanted to make is the endocannabinoid system is basically like the master switch for homeostasis. The homeostasis is the governing system that keeps everything and all the other systems in balance right so what you're saying is is, is a com- comparing it to a, a vitamin or a nutrient it's actually really really accurate because when you enhance your body's ability to self-regulate you know you're going to get a more um a, a more lubricated and working system mm. and, and i think that what i can sense for you straight away is something that i've found uh with my use is like I do find that 
makes me function a lot better. Um, mm. I'm a better version of myself, and when I don't have it, those yeah, I think that feels more like a deprivation of of an essential nutrient than something like I really need like I'm missing because it's like mm. addiction. It's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's again overlooked is the value in um the value in just peace of peace of being. Because mm-hmm. like, how do you oh you're getting it for pain, you're getting it for anxiety, but no, it's like it can be more subtle. There's there's gaps in between the lines that although it doesn't necessarily have because it doesn't stem from a a known medical condition doesn't mean to say that it's not medically benefiting Mm -hmm. user do you see what i'm trying to say entirely yeah yeah and i think so so that was one point and then the second point on the biochemistry itself what i quickly realized in various studies when you do you know you've got a isolated molecule like THC and you're putting it into a system like a mouse and then you're watching what happens to those you know to the the reaction to that or whether you're doing it in an in vitro system where you're trying to see how much binding affinity it has as of this receptor of that the problem with those experiments as great as they are and a lot of molecular biology is that as it fails to account for the changes that the others substances would make to that interaction and although they might not necessarily increase binding or decrease binding affinity they might modulate the way the receptor works in ways that again are not yet documented and i'll give you an example of that without being too kind of wedging in something one of my achievements right but i worked in plant pathogen interactions uh, during my phd at durham and we were looking at the interface between bacteria and the surface of the plant now, whenever the plant detects the little the little mechanism on bacteria that allows it to swim in the flagella, whenever those things come into contact, the plant immediately mounts an immune response. Okay, there's a cascade of of, of signaling um, molecules that you know build into this big full body um, response, full plant mm-hmm. response. Now, there's they overlooked one of the the components to that which I studied, which was called simulation, right? So this is a modification to that receptor, which then results in a, a, a kind of side chain of signaling. Now that's in plant pathogen interactions and plant immunology is like one of the most studied things in plants. It's a highly competitive and really really well scrutinised um, subject. Endocannabinoids. And the endocannabinoid system is not, you know? Mm. And so what we don't know about that would probably fill the Grand Canyon. Do you know what I mean? Like there's so many levels of what we don't know. And that's the thing. So I come along and I find that little kind of signaling mechanism that was missed doesn't change the overall story, but it's still kind of important to how things work and how mm-hmm. other modifiers are playing a part in, in pathways that we didn't even know were involved in that. And I think that's what some of the um, the terpenoids and things must be doing. They must be modulating these receptors in different mm-hmm. ways, or changing downstream effects, or you know things mm-hmm. like that. And again, it would take twenty five million pounds a year for twenty five years to try and answer that because the minutia, as you say, the individual plant has a, a series of compounds, but each part of the plant has a different ratio, and then each human is different in the way that they're made up their diets and the amount of mm-hmm. sleep and all that stuff affects how your system works so it's, it's it just gets to the complete uncontrollable variables you know you just cannot account for everything and that's but it's crazy though because the solution is well just consume the plant to the way that you you know you're, you're encouraged to do so instinctively yeah. 
that's yeah. that's what it kind of boils down to, you know. Mm. Very interesting points. Very, very interesting. And yeah, I always say to people, it's let your nose guide you. You 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 know it's the same with like food. You know, when you sat there, there's a yeah, a bodybuilder, I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. I think he's is it the Irish guy who said it? The big the big big vegan lad. And he, he was like, I don't even I don't want to even weigh anything. I don't don't take what I I know what I need. If I need more salt, boom, if I need this vitamin, I take it. It's if you get in tuned to yourself, you don't need to to regiment it and follow it in, in the same way as I sit here as a prescription holder. You know, obviously my combustion nullifies that prescription, but that isn't from that prescription, luckily. Um, but the, the the point is that I am prescribed it because they recognize a benefit from it. I don't get the benefit from their method of consumption. So I choose my own method of consumption, which does give me the benefit, but that then criminalizes me. So it just, the idea that system can limit it is an absurdity to me. I mean, you speak of one of the things through experimentation and it's one of the points that I've made for quite a while. And I got very heavily berated by a lot of people, predominantly CBD companies, um, when I start to point out a few studies that, again, we're just asking the question, okay, in in vitro experimentation on signaling and da-da-da, you've got X, Y, Z. What happens when you scale that up into a human active system? How does the endocannabinoid system interact with the modulation of other neurotransmitters? You know, how does that interact with hormones? How does that interact with, do, do you know what I mean? And it's those yeah. systems. So there's various studies came to the conclusion that CBD is non-psychoactive. But actually, CBD in an active system will affect these peripheral systems. It will modulate mood. It will give you psychoactive effects. It's yeah. just it's just not classified or, or characterized well, in the same way as THC. So then you get this binary marketing of THC psychoactive, yeah. bad, CBD non-psychoactive, good. Yeah, I've, I experienced that the first time I took a dose of CBD. I was like, I can feel some, I can feel an effect in this that was not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, just to back that point up, I think. It's really funny because back in those days when you first exposed to cannabis, it was always with us because we're in the UK, right? It was like tobacco joints, right? Which is interesting because they they'd also like their tobacco joints with hash in Spain, right? And recently over at Spanibus, I had the tobacco joint for the first time in ages. And what was crazy about it is that the, the, the psychoactive effect from the, the nicotine, right? Although it's very short-lived, if you don't smoke and you smoke even just a cigarette, you will feel dizzy and queasy and sick and slightly elevated in some way. There's there's maybe a good element in there somewhere, but it's masked with a lot of crap as well. Mm. But that's never that's never written up as that, right? It's never mm-hmm. because obviously you nullify that effect by 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 consuming more and more, and then you no longer get that effect. And that's why we have you know people have tolerance breaks with cannabis as well because a similar thing can happen where you can kind of overindulged to the point where you know you're needing more and more to, to get the same kind of effects mm-hmm. and it is worth taking a break for that respect but the downside of that is sometimes it then makes you too high after the break i find that mm-hmm. you know like if you have a break and then that first day or two is like whoa you know like this mm-hmm. is like crazy but it's good because you reduce your consumption and because my thing with cannabis as well like it's been a long time since i've wanted to get wasted Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not yeah. really. That's not really. It's a kind of yeah. Maybe I'm, I don't know. I, I just I, I do it to function better. Like that's that's the thing. I do have you know back and hip issues, which you know much without it in my system, I'm in pain a lot. With mm. it in my system, it's ignorable. You know, you're functional. Um, yeah, yeah, and exactly. I think that that's that's the difference of, and I think it's one of the things we're slowly coming down to. But obviously, the 
the power of the opioid lobby is unbelievable. The power of the pharmaceutical industrial complex is unbelievable. Yeah. But they are starting to understand more and more that basically, yeah, cannabis doesn't work on the neural pathways in the same way that opioids do in terms of it just fucking severs the link between you and the pain. Pain is still there. You're going to go about your daily life, putting yourself in more pain, exacerbating the injuries because you're not aware of it. Every signal, good and bad, depression, anxiety, sudden fear, you know, that moment where you're like, what the fuck? And a bus flies past. All of these instinctive things are there to protect us. We are one very complex system made up of tens of trillions of bacterial fucking cells and all the, the rest of it. And everything is signaling, trying to get you to fucking do what you can to better your body and your health. Whereas then when you consume cannabis, you still have exactly that, that awareness. You're not suddenly going to go play as a goalkeeper because you can't feel your fucking back. So yeah. it's this, there's something there that it, it modulates. Cannabis is an enhancer. It gets in your system and it goes, oh, this guy's got knuckle pain. We'll get rid of that. Oh, he's not sleeping. Boom, we'll fix that. And the broader you can access the, the, the spectrum of, of compounds within the plant, the better your body is at finding these things. And as you said before, it's like getting wasted. It's been a very long time since I've felt wasted as it were and the times that i will it's like taking a gram of feco for health reasons or whatever it's i'm in a not in a very good place at all i'm struggling with aches pains not sleeping or whatever and it's just kind of as a reset it's i'm going to overdose my body on cannabinoids and i'm gonna you know restart that that system and then the first day i usually find a bit grog but then once i've got sort of through that everything is, is generally better and my consumption then goes down because instead of me seeking it from sort of constant top-ups with a with a blunt or whatever um it, it's kind of there latent already i mean i make my own tinctures take them as well as, as a form of regulation alongside of it but it's the interesting point you made of tobacco i brought this up in a, an article i wrote for weed world about driving many years ago of saying that yeah if you as a tobacco, non-tobacco consumer say you've been at a house party or whatever you've been somewhere and you just run out of backy and it's been nearly 20 hours since you've had a cigarette and you get in that car and smoke a cigarette your tolerance drops fast uh, for the not nicotine and coatine, I think is what we derive from it. And it's such a sensitivity to it that when you suddenly get it again, exactly as you see, you can get dizzy, you get that kind of, when you fall back into yourself sensation, you know, people start getting really sweaty, anxious, your heart gets tachycardic. And for a few seconds to a minute or two, it could be quite a difficult experience. Whereas then somebody who consumes cannabis all day, every fucking day, normally uh, for, for whatever condition X, Y, or Z, and they have their, their awareness and tolerance and knowledge of how they drive and maneuver, them then not accessing that cannabis prior to getting that vehicle it falls into a, a dangerous state. So we're just in this weird juxtaposition of things of how we're told that these things are so simplistic, and, yeah. and and it's really not. I mean, I can like I could sit and smoke an ounce in a day and literally still be sat chatting to people. Yeah, I could watch people go through a grand blunt and they'd be asleep in the lap. Yeah. And it's not anybody's fault, as it were. And to then try and reg artificially regulate the, these systems, I think it's just it's just bullshit. It's arbitrary bullshit. Yeah, it's always on a worst case scenario. But yeah, those same so those same kind of considerations are not applied to alcohol, not applied to tobacco, they're not applied to prescription. Well, there's yeah, no, that's a lie. They're applied to prescription drugs. But I mean, even even things like and please. We need to fact check this, but I'm sure at some point since legalization in Colorado, there was some statistic about how driving incidents had reduced. And one of the biggest arguments I think that the opposition had there was that, you know, the increased use is going to lead to a lot more road accidents. And I think there is actually evidence to the contrary of that. I'm sure there is. Um, are you looking that up now? or? Yeah. 
Hmm. Uh, well, this is a NCBI. Obviously, uh, we have to take that with a certain amount of pinch of salt. I know, obviously, you're an academic and work in the spheres. I'm not <laughs> going to obviously go into my personal feelings, but uh, no, no, yeah. we could, we should mention something about the academic papers on cannabis because there's a lot of them I'm, I've been appalled by. Please do, because there, there's a few investigations happening at a few universities in America and schools where they're starting to find serious anomalies, not just in cannabis, but in just general academic paper, peer-reviewed papers in general that are often really supportive of huge industries, you know, highly profitable industries. And the, yeah. it's almost like the paperwork is thrown through. Yeah, and it's also, the you know, with... with Papers on, especially in plants, um, to do with the plant itself and and, and the, the peer-reviewed literature, because there's, it's hard to find an academic expert who knows what the, grown, the optimal growing conditions for medical-grade cannabis is, right? They just on a, on a superficial level, they don't know. So they, how do you get, how can you re- peer-review it to the same standard when none of the academics understand the particulars? Because that's what I noticed in one quite, I can't remember which name it Try and look it up, but in one quite big paper that's well cited, the growing conditions of these plants were absolutely appalling. I don't think they put the temperature above 20 degrees, but yeah, they never justified that in the text in any way. And I'm sure mm. it was the same temperature all the way through. And having worked in academic labs and, and grow rooms, I know it's probably because there was other plants in there and that's what the temperature they needed to be. And they just had to do the experiment in that same space. Do you see what I mean? So they've not mm. actually grown the plants out and under optimal conditions, which isn't necessarily a, a requirement, but you've got to get close to what even the commercial um, growers are, are, are doing. Do you know what I mean? They're never going to be growing plants at 20 degrees all the way through because you just won't get the same rate of um, uh, cannabinoid production. We, again, if you know the taxonomy of the plant, it's THC is basically the sunscreen of the plant. So the more you kind of increase that, the higher THC yield is a, is a general kind of rule of thumb. Obviously, there's a hell of a lot of nuance in the science there. Uh, there was a bit of bro science from me. I probably shouldn't have done that. But as a, as a general kind of concept, um, yeah, that holds to be true. Sorry, Simpa, can I, can I interject? Because it backs up what you I just mean. said and it puts a hammer on the point. One of the papers that came out in the last year was something about how UV was it UVA or UVB? UVB makes no impact on on on, on the THC production. Mm-hmm. And the way they had done this experiment is they had given it a one-hour dose of T of UV each day, a one-hour dose of UV each day, which I could not for the life of me fathom. Because like if you want to put a pl- you want to see the effect of a light spectrum on a plant, you kind of have to leave it on. You know, they get, at least as a as a side control, they just let's leave one on all the way through. But yeah. the problem is, I think, as you say, there's there's influence here, and there's people with agendas that are funding some of this research because it's never ever seen one plant studied so much privately as well like, in the academic circles. So those yeah. funders, they must be up to something because what what I noticed is why would you not run a, a constant UV supply control because that must have shown that it upped the the the, the, mm. the um, levels. Because even Kyle Esplin, who's a mutual friend, he often cites the fact that there was some correspondence um, from India and Scotland over different um, cannabinoid-based medicines from 1850 or something like this. Mm. And they had stated in the the correspondence that plants growing up the mountain were more therapeutic than those growing in the valley. And the, the, the most measurable difference there would be the intensity of the UV 
mm-hmm. you know, like that would be the kind of the, what would most likely affect the cannabinoid production in that sense. So, so you were, I think you were spot on in what you said mm-hmm. in two respects there, um, the UV and the mm-hmm. and the academic, not being as true to, you know what we would believe it to be because it, it really did shake my confidence in the peer review system which was solid when i left mm. the academic realm when i came into the cannabis i was like whoa no 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 this is clearly a case of there's no experts here so they're just pulling people at random to review this almost and that that will do you know so it's, there's a problem with that there's a real problem with that yeah i think there's obviously something yourself will have found as, as well that Attachment of certain names gives a, a much higher cachet and quality to whatever it is that is being claimed. Um, so people think, I don't want to go against this individual. I don't want to go against, yeah. you know, the potential paymasters, alleged paymasters of some of these individuals. So again, I'm not going to make any aspersions, but this has become common practice. You know, we have legalized bribery through lobbying, um, but within the academic circles, uh, we have that through funding. So basically, if you don't, you know, come to a certain preconceived conclusion through your study, you might not get that extra grant for your new music hall or whatever. There's yeah. there's a lot of politics and bullshit that, that kind of goes along with it. And it's you make the interesting point again, this cannabis is probably one of the, if not the most studied plant in human history. And at least previously, there was an open forum for all there was a hell of a lot of classism, race issues, structural issues, socioeconomic issues with the with the past, just in isolation in terms of academia, it was a more open. Even though, yeah, it was to a smaller group of people. Um, but the point was still that the profiteering, oh, sorry, the profiting from uh, patent creation, et cetera, was secondary. The pursuit of knowledge was primary. And that seems to be lost from cannabis. It seems that they have made up their conclusions based on what is best to limit the market for their monopoly, their conglomerate to profit most. Mm. I, th- I think that having a look at where the industry is now, it's quite clearly a divided um, a divided community. Like so, even on the legal front, where you've got people like like yourself and people like you know like like Connor, who's you know doing something else, slightly you know on the legitimate side, but he's still part of the community. He's got a voice for the community. We have that side of the voice, and then we've got the other side, which is that you know it's a it's a way they well we need to put we need to move money into this, and if people are going to put money in, they need to get money back out. That's the only way we're going to move it forward and all this. Mm. Now, my, my feeling is that we are hurling towards a massive, I mean, okay, let me let me word that another way. If you go through the, pers- uh, the, pres- the UK prescription method, right, you might quickly realise that actually the knowledge which we think is highly regulated and it's really, you know, everything depends on if you say this, they're going to get that. If you're going to, that is not really how that system works from the inside at all. It's not all based on individual biology and needs is based on what's available and you know you know some degree of 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 not want but but yeah want from the from the patient you know that, mm-hmm. that, that that's what i think drives that which means that from a medical standpoint it's that in itself is kind of invalidated right so we've got that element then we've got the side of the corporations and the and the, and the, and the bigger companies who they're using the medical side of things as a way to the, well, we'll just sit and wait until it becomes recreational. And that's, I mean, what I've seen from inside the industry, that is one of the biggest um, issues. 
Mm-hmm. You know, is this they just, you know, what is it? They call it virtue signaling. Is it, you know, mm-hmm. when you're basically claiming, you know, shouting about this medical thing, but that's nothing to do with your intention, your belief, or why you're in the game. That was that was a hard pill to swallow for me because mm. although I, I wasn't sure what to expect coming out of the industry, I, I genuinely didn't think it was going to be quite as as obvious to see those kind of mm. actors in the space, you know, and there's and there's plenty of them. Mm. And again, if people want to make money and find a way to do it, that's not that's not the issue. But the issue for me is I feel the even the the, the legalization process, if you want to call it that, sorry for bad choice of words there, but whatever we went through, you know, turning to medical and then what we're trying to achieve as a community going forward, that whole process is just being jaded by actors in the space with prominence who, for me, they're profiteering from the fact that there is limited knowledge and they hold a lot of the keys to that knowledge and they're making money now from that. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that really sickened me about the industry, man, was I could mm-hmm. see, I identified that really quickly and... Mm-hmm not a lot of other people are speaking up about it, you know, and it's and it's quite hard for me to speak up about it because of the positions I hold as well. But, yeah. you know, I, you know, being as general as this, I can certainly say that that's something that I've witnessed and something that is prominent. Um, where does that leave us? I don't know. You know, we've still been, we've still been lucky in the sense that, you know, we don't have Syngenta or Monsanto or any of these big crazy companies, crazy plant companies coming in, you know, and try to sweep up everything. Yeah. W's done a fair job at that on its own anyway. Mm. But um yeah, I, I was that was something I was wanting to ask you is what what was your um what's your opinion on the whole GW Pharma enterprise and how that's been allowed to be the sole license holder for mm. you know for since nineteen ninety eight or something like that. I, I feel I feel there's a challenge there to whoever granted that license. I'll you know, uh yeah, I'll circle back to the the GW thing in a minute because that's going to be a whole point. Um, but in terms of bad faith actors, yeah, I I don't know why people invite me places. People put me in all sorts of places. Do you know what I mean? Whether I want to or not, I'll get thrust into Cannabis Europe. I'll get thrust into the launch of this event. I'll get thrust to the launch of whatever. And people don't know me, especially not if you don't know me, then you really don't know what I start. You don't know that I'm here truly just seeking knowledge and truth even to the detriment of my own individual self. And so people talk and yeah, I hear what goes on in these rooms. You know, I'm a party to being CC'd into various emails. I am, you know, an advisor on various things. I still get correspondence. I get fed a lot of information, a lot of internal documents and things like that from various entities. And thank you to everyone that does that. I really appreciate it. Um, And yeah, that's exactly what I see. When I flew out to America, and I spoke to people, that's exactly what they told me happened. When I went to Canada, said that's exactly what. It's it's the game plan of multinational, huge venture capitalist investment firms. They have such power and influence that they are two, three, four times removed from what we think is actually happening. And you look at this and go, a grassroots campaign to help the people. It's not. <laughs> Again, not going to cast any aspersions. I'm not going to cause a fight between anybody else or whatever else, but I fought at the front line of this fight for many years now. I've stood outside Parliament. I fought physically with police. I've screamed in their face. I even made a bunch of coppers cry in London once uh, for arresting Callie Blackwell. Um, You know, I will bring plants with me. I will commit civil disobedience. I will forever stand upon this wherever I go and support anyone that I believe is, is fighting for me but I have felt betrayed and lied to, manipulated time and time again by these movements. 
because of the people that have the genuine sincerity and the passion and actually are helping hundreds, if not thousands of people are doing it in silence. They are still just quietly doing what they can, wherever they can, because they are still at war. And there is this kind of new conglomerate. I call it neo-legalization, uh, to, to borrow from, say, neo-liberalization, and sort of the uh, liberalism, rather. Um, so a newer form, a structured form of what used to be kind of a loose philosophy. So legalization used to be a loose philosophy of individuals. When Pete Tosh and et cetera sang about it, they were singing about ending cannab cannabis prohibition. They weren't singing about, you know, Cure Relief and fucking GW and Tilray and all these other multinational conglomerates owning it while Jamaica still isn't free. Do you know what I mean? They weren't singing about these things. They weren't talking about them fighting for, for regulation, taxation, and all the rest of it. They just wanted to be set free. And so these new neo-legalizationists are often corporate suits, you know, politically connected from money, from legal, from economics, do you know what I mean? From academic uh, backgrounds with no offense to yourself or any of the other people that I know with doctrines and, and, and uh, academic qualifications, but that gives them this cachet that we should listen to them. And I believe that they have merit and value to add, but unless this is with the culture and alongside of it, you are creating a form of what I call Prohibition 2.0. You are building this legalized system on top of something that can't, that doesn't exist. Because ultimately, like, I make the point that we cannot legalize cannabis because cannabis isn't unlawful or illegal. It's us that are criminalized. The plant has no agency in the same way a knife has no agency. In a kitchen, it's a tool you chop up your, your veg. No problem. No one's going to raid you because you've got a drawer full of knives. But if you took that into your waistband and walk out on the street, that's not an illegal action. It's an unlawful action. You are then arrested for unlawful possession of, of a knife because you lawfully shouldn't possess it in those circumstances. Whereas if you were then a chef and it was in your box and you were on your way to work, you wouldn't have that problem. And those those arbitrary restrictions of the law is, is where we're at with this. And their ex legal, legalization expands on those loopholes. So if you have a license through prescription or you have a license for cultivation because you're an air core temp farmer or whatever, and you get to destroy your heads and do what you want with all the products, there's, there's, there's too many loopholes for manipulation when kids on council estates, like that you grew up in, that I grew up adjacent to and, and spent most of my time in, they're still criminalized. They're still demonized as druggies. You know, they're the skunk users. They're the the bad guys. When there's, and it's just this classist separation where as long as you say, oh, I vaporize and I'm a patient, you're safe and you're fine. But if you're caught smoking a joint somewhere, you know, the number of people, I'll finish this point on the bad actors thing, if I know in the space that will get shy, they're proud on stage, I'm a patient, I'm a whatever, but they smoke joints. But oh, don't ever know, don't ever show me combusting. So how dare you? You are in a position of power. You should use that to speak up for those that cannot. I know, obviously, I butt heads with some activists on this, but it's my stance in life. I am on the front line. I put myself there, and I stand for what I can, where I can. And I believe if others did the same, we'd be able to weed out these bad actors. But it feels like the power, the influence, and the money and notoriety, influence. You know, we all know it's the celebrity allure. As soon as they pluck you out of the crowd and put you on the stage and big you up for your story and your narrative and they help workshop it and give you media training and all of a sudden you're a mouthpiece for them. The number of mothers I've had on this platform 
that were part of the the two campaigns that again I'm not going to name probably for legal reasons um, that have then told me after the fact kind of what actually happened there with the manipulation how little support they actually got they were used as media fodder to pass yeah. legislation that benefited multinational corporations while they're still paying thousands of pounds a month to fucking help their children access the life saving medication yeah. it's yeah and I think you know and that's an example of exactly what you know one of the one of the kind of things that hold true. Is it because Britain's so traditionalist? Is it because, but, but some of these archaic ways that things work, like, you know, being, like, what is what is really benefiting society that, that 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 mother is arrested for, you know, black market, using the black market to source cannabis to treat or severely sick children? Is that a lesser evil than, you know, the children, the child potentially dying? Like, come on. Where is the where is the room for modern thinking and common sense to be applied? Now, understand at one point you had to draw lines under things, but those lines have blood for a long time in many facets of the law. It's not just in in, in, in drugs. Like there's there's many facets of the law. Look at the way that insurance works or certain financial things. It's like absolutely crazy. You know, the, the, the one way court, we get a mobile phone contract. It's one way, take it or leave it. You don't get to negotiate a contract mm-hmm. with a mobile phone company, but the laws in their favor from the start, they can put whatever terms they want on that. And you sign it or you don't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because a crazy way of working, there's no participation from what is essentially providing all the finance, which is the customer. You know, and that's that's the same as what you're talking about. You're getting you're getting penalized for they're almost getting penalized for bringing this blight to, to light, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and then you're okay, we'll fix it, but you're going to, it's going to cost you your mortgage. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. It's, just, sorry, go on. I was just going to say and one other point, just on that whole media thing, I'm, I'm a massive um, UFC fan, right? I really like my cage fighting. And it's been interesting watching, being a 20 year vet of watching that sport, watching the, um, the change over, over legalization in the U S states, where you had people like, you know, Nick Diaz and more recently Sean O'Malley, who just won a championship, just blunting up after the fights or even during the fight, uh, watching the fights from the sides, you know what I mean? Like, really mm-hmm. being advocates, because, again, they've got more similar backgrounds to you and I than they have anything else. And that's funny, because watching that American culture explode in that direction, where that whole thing has been torn down now in recreational, like, for, like in California, Colorado mm-hmm. and the rest, you're just watching those guys who want to break out and do it, just do it. For me, it's like, it's maybe not, definitely not perfect over there, right? But just that element of it is makes me so, it makes me feel like Britain's so last century, you know, it's so stuck mm-hmm. in its ways with how it even operates and, and its speed. And, and, you know, that was the other thing, you know, sorry, I'm just going on. It's all good, it's all good the whole COVID thing and how quick we were re- to react and change things to suit that situation. And in some cases, rightly so, and in some cases, questionably so, right? But the fact that they could act that fast and then the fact that everything else, like, I would say they could, you know, because, um, what's his name again? Oh, Free, you know, the guy, we've seen him at Brighton. Oh, Free Cannabis. Yes. He was, um, I was going to say free weed, but I just, I wasn't sitting right in my head. And, you know, one of the things that he mentions is something about like a global cannabinoid um, shortage or de- deficiency. That's what he says, right? And I think like, that's not, it's, it's maybe taking it a step further than, than what I'm doing now, but I'm just saying like that, having that open and just like free use and just that relaxed 
view that I see those UFC fighters doing in public with their millions of followers on social media and, and you know, having no fear of anybody banging down the door and taking away their, their everything. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's it's weird that in this this day and age, like my view of the UK is like it is just that it's too archaic and and, mm-hmm. and, and how it all works like that and and it's yeah. epitomized in that cannabis stance. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about, the fact that you can have that bud in front of you and you can have a vaporizer and that's perfectly legal. But if you just grind it, if you've grind it anyway to put it in the vaporizer, if you just put it in a skin and light it instead or put it in the vaporizer, now you're illegal. It's just, it's, yeah, it's you know, it, it's an absurdity. Uh, I'll make a quick point on that, and then I've I've got a way to tie. I think all of these in together is in terms of response. It's ridiculous. It's one sentence. It's about six words. Whatever it is, the smoking of cannabis is uh, prohibited. It's on the bottom of the regulations. No matter who I talk to in terms of regulators, former heads of one of, if not the biggest UK importers, uh, police, politicians don't want to fucking answer me. How are you going to enforce that? What happens if I tell you I've done that? I personally know where I got kicked off one of my prescriptions uh, for, for doing so, for being too honest. But how do you enforce that? Does that Schedule 2 drug that's prescribed to me by my actions suddenly become one? Say if I got codeine and I smashed it up and snorted it, the worst that will happen is my doctor will remove my prescription. There's no criminal punitive measure for it because I had authorization under the prescription. Even if I chose to abuse it, there isn't a, a, a criminal sanction for it. So even if the police caught me doing that, they were then supposed to report me back. I have lawful possession of that product. So there's there's an absurdity there in terms of the illusion that they're presenting it to be something that it, it isn't. We've got test cases through Seed Our Future that are trying to understand this. We're trying to correlate this information and figure out how best to defend because without throwing him under the bus, um, I'm not going to do it here. Uh, one of the heads of probably the largest prescribers in the UK said to me that they know openly 90 plus percent of the people that have, have their prescriptions combust it and they don't care. So there isn't an emphasis there. Um, in terms of to, to tie it in of what you were saying about sort of Britain and being antiquated, I think our issue is we're so corrupt. People forget the power. We are... Sorry, fiefdom may have collapsed around the world, you know, but we fell back into an economic union. Obviously, that's, you know, being torn apart little by little with places like Jamaica and and the Caribbean nations, you know, uh, trying to get rid of the Queen, trying to stand as true independent nations and get rid of the the, the association with the the colonizers. Um, But I think our House of Lords and our House of uh, Representatives in the House of Commons because of the corruption mechanism within that and the fact that we don't have um, sort of public representation in the same way they do in the States means that we can never really follow the US. So I think what's happening is they're dangling the carrot of the illusion of what we're seeing across the pond and we're going toward it going, oh, we can have that when we know we can't. It's a different culture. It's a different economy. It's a different, it just, it won't fit in terms of the way it'll happen. We don't have citizen-led initiatives, so we can't get on the ballot and lead it. We have to then go through politicians and through APPGs and lobbying, et cetera. Very expensive, very corrupt. And as, and as I heard this weekend um, on, by one of the panelists, that you know we need to speak in a way and appeal to the politicians. And as I rebutted to the audience, you know, well, they're supposed to be our public servants. If they don't serve us, get them the fuck out. Find somebody that will. The, that corrupt system basically means that whatever legislation is placed in power in the UK, and I think it will be a, a Tory, conser- like a conservative right-wing economic limited nightmare. It's kind of similar to Germany in some ways. Um, 
installed here in the UK. And what will happen is that passes and the MPs that were involved in that become the Lords that will later block it. Our bills have to have a three-point ascension from the House of Commons through the House of Lords be voted on, sent back and amended until it can go through royal assent. If the, the MPs that are then getting paid, and like Jackie Smith right now, has a directorship or an advisor role for a, a medicinal cannabis company and they en- then enter the House of Lords, guess what they're going to be paid to block? Mm. Any decriminalization, any descheduling, any reform to cannabis. And that's what I think the states is different. Their legalization for all, yeah, I, I agree. I have issues with it as well. It's more corporate monopolies. But what you're seeing through individuals like this is they're not allowed to do that. That's activism. They're breaking the law and going, well, okay, how are you going to punish me? Take me to court and let's have this conversation. If you've legalized, how is it unlawful for me to do this? And these are the conversations that need to happen. Legalization is not the end of cannabis prohibition. It's the ring fencing of um, corporate monopolies to sell and produce cannabis to consumers as long as they do it in a certain way. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the, what, the difference that we have um, – in, in the UK, of potential, although we don't have a citizens-led initiative, is we have such a culture and legacy that's going to do whatever the fuck we want anyway. We're building and building every year for all these issues in, in the vendor community and everything at the minute. A lot of drama, a lot of politics, all the usual kind of thing. As a general kind of consensus, the UK has some amazing growers. We have some amazing, knowledgeable people that are not interested in this legalized system. They're building their models. They're opening their clubs. They're opening... Uh, their networks and, and they're developing their brands and their genetics and they're making a name for themselves. And I think we've got that fuck you attitude that I'm hoping fingers crossed is going to mean that we're not just going to roll over when they offer us some bastardized version of, of, of legalization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like one of, one of the things I'd like to have on there was like with, I did put this with the, um... no, I can't articulate it. If, if they had, so if we had a system where basically piece by piece we lessen prohibition over time, right, it still gives enough room for exactly what you're taking, what, what you're saying, right, with, with the complete almost monop- monopolization whilst it goes through the system, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it brings me to my point. As I entered this legal industry in 2020, they told me that, oh, yeah, we're five, ten years away from full full, full decriminalised, fully allowed, anyone can buy it, you know, whatever you want to call it, adult use, let's just say. They told me five to ten years. I still hear that same time frame being quoted now. You know, as you say, a dangling carrot at the end of something. My experience and, you know, the, 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 little, the little piecemeal step forwards that the APPGs and stuff have made, I just don't think they're ever going to get to where you know, that end point that we say, oh, yeah, in five to ten years we'll have this, boom. It's even, even taking out all the corporate greed that could help that get to that point. I just don't think, I just don't think British, if the, the, the British politics remains the way it is, I just don't think that's ever going to mm. get through. Because as you said, little corners of um, monopolization are just always going to exist and they're just too ripe. Um mm. And that's that's true. That's true in pharmaceuticals in general. You know, some of the horror, mm. horror stories and some of the things that have been now taken off the market after going through the fifteen-year, clin- you know, drug mm. discovery process and clinical trials and all that stuff. And they spent you know one billion on that single drug, and then it was allowed. And then you know, one in a hundred people get this severe symptom. One in a thousand people get death symptom. You know, and and, and mm. on and on it goes. And then we we get they, they get to sell it for seven or eight, ten, twelve years. And then just before the the, the, the kind of you know 
it becomes open license, then it gets retracted or something like that all of a sudden because it's deemed too dangerous because of this or that. And that, mm. that story is not unique in the drug discovery route. And yeah, that's just another, you know, it's, 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 yeah, no, it's an interesting one. It feels like to me, the companies that are involved in kind of the interstate battles, the international battles to own various nations, they're, they're looking at Europe as a different thing. I think Europe's a cash cow for them. They want to go like America, like Cali went. They want a good window to exploit the patient, to get everybody onto it as a patient, to then use that uh, veneer of respectability that it's, you know, medicine to, to get away with working out how to get it down to one cents a gram, how to, you know, exploit all the labor and how to, you know, um, just make it the most profitable rather than the most beneficial. Um, and what I see in Europe is I personally believe from the people I've spoken to that Germany has been set up by the lobbyists for the medicinal sector in Germany because Germany is the largest market in Europe and they're seeking to expand. And so the narrative that I have heard and what I personally kind of am leaning towards is that this system has been set up to pump it full of criminality. So there was so many arbitrary restrictions. The fact that you can't even carry a fucking ounce is a fuck you to the culture. You know what I mean? That's a standard weight in units. It's, mental but that's going to then flood the market with then a need for oh my god all these criminals all these gangs all these unlicensed things all this uh, uh, this is why we need medicine you're right we should expand the medical market and did it that's controlled that's safe it's white it's white collar doctors you know with their, their lab coats it's safe and clean and it's toward the pharmaceutical pharmaceuticalization of all cannabis and i feel that we're just being used right now with the off-label prescription of flowers to correlate data sets that are then going to be used by, and when I'll go on to my GW thing in a moment, GW and other entities, because you've got to look at, again, where a lot of these companies are uh, partnered with, you know, who have been bought out, you know, EMAC openly bought out Curaleaf. That doesn't mean they're the only international conglomerate to buy a majority stake in one of these uh, entities. You've then got promissory notes, um, which is basically individuals making kind of shaking hand deals that when they can speak of it, the deal can come to light sort of thing. So there's, there's a lot of bullshit and fuckery as we spoke of before with them sitting on the fence, waiting to drive that wreck market, but it's all missing the truth. And the truth to me is why should you get anything until we have been set free? I know it's a crude analogy, but I look at it as in ending the criminalization of homosexuality. And to me, it feels like instead of then decriminalizing and removing all offenses for what you've previously, you know, had targeting a certain subsection of society, you've gone, okay, now we're going to legalize homosexuality. And what that means is you can kiss your boyfriend between these hours. You're allowed to hold each other's hand twice a day. You know, you can live together, but not in the same bedroom. You can, do you know what I mean? It it just, it's to me, it's so viscerally offensive and I know people say that, oh, it's little steps. It's like, no, then you've missed the point. Who is benefiting from that? Who profiteers? Who wins most? It, it's the money men. It's always the fucking money men when the little guy is still suffering. You know, cannabis from a tiny seed can make you a billionaire. Everyone. every, it, Nothing else has this. It's the ultimate renewable regenerative resource. It, it is antithetical to capitalism. And that's why I feel capitalism needs to be the ones that control it. It needs to be this the system that controls any change in legislation around cannabis. And that's where they've come up with corporate legalization. They can benefit most from the financing of this, but restrict research and development. So none of us go, 
Why are you not making batteries out of all that sticks and stems? Why are you making HHC and THCP? Why are you going to have ULEZ and all these carbon taxes when you could just sequester the fucking carbon by growing trillions of plants? You know, why are we still using petroleum? You know, why are we using b- b- plastics? You know, still, why are... It's all these other things. Cannabis is the the resource that sets humanity free if it's allowed to. She's the ultimate regenerative thing, as, as I've spoke of, and it feels like we're at this this war, this to and fro, and they have the power of, of you know generations of marketeers, of advertisers, of legal people, of economists, of politicians, of all professionals of all creeds that they've then infected with this money. And then they've gone, just keep saying legalization, it's legalization without allowing them to ever explore the idea of what happens then if you limit it to an ounce and I carry 29 grams. Oh, you're going to criminalize me. But you said you were legalizing. Is how, what? Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I mean, and it goes back to um, another point, which I think there was, um, again, we're kind of flipping back and forth on what we're doing. We were being picky here on what academic... Um, studies to promote and what ones to dismiss but there was i'm sure there was something out earlier this year or maybe the end of last year that stated there was a, there was a controlled study that showed that smoking cannabis had no detrimental effect on the lungs didn't promote lung disease it was a you know again it was controlled and i think there was i can't remember sorry some I'm, I'm, i should have looked this up before i came on i didn't know we'd speak about it but um but anyway by all by all accounts it looks like it didn't have any detrimental effects to health mm-hmm. now i would tend to think that i agree with that like having 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 smoked um blunts for most of my consumption of life when get put on prescription and try the oil vape for the first time I got on with it great to begin with, but then I started getting a sore throat and a sore chest, and then I started coughing with it. Mm. And I was like, that's weird. This is meant to be the healthy, safe way to do it. This is meant to be the, the doctor's approved, blah, 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 blah. And then in the meantime, this study comes out and says, well, there's no, there's no, you know, I think the other, the other antidotal thing to look at is anybody with any kind of lung disorders through smoking, there's nearly always been tobacco or other things smoked in there as well. We don't have a whole rack of data because people are too scared to say, right? All those people over years who smoked blunts and just kept it to themselves and self-medicated and never died of lung disease, you know. And I'm, you know, again, I don't want to be falsely advertising that this is not dangerous to health because there's you burn any plant, it's going to produce carbon monoxide, which is bad for your health. You know, the consum- the, the, the consuming anything that's burnt is going to do that. I mean, if you if you see any black on your toast. It contains contains carcinogens. Do you know what I mean? Like we can't avoid these things entirely, and to to hide behind a bunch of these, you know, supposed health mitigating practices. Like you know, the coming back to the vape and the smoking thing again, it just seems like as you as you're now pointing out, another level of well, you can have it, but only under these really tight um, mm. parameters, which will allow us to keep all control of of the thing and. Just to just to make sure that people don't think we're conspiracy nuts here, <laughs> you know, and you might you might be different from me, but I don't necessarily believe there's one big overpowering body that's just trying to sweep all this up and do it. It's not like that at all. It's, it's much more opportunistic. It's much more grabbing a buck where where you can, and it's not by design, but almost by yeah, just repeat myself, opportunity, you know, and that's what that because that's what these guys who who make portfolios for investments and you know try and get money for different enterprises do they specialize in what will make money not necessarily 
mm-hmm. you know, what's going to serve society or a community or allow us to move forward as as consumers, you know, the, none of that stuff is until you can find a way to monetize that. And that's what I'm very pessimistic. I'm really, I, don't, mm-hmm. I do not see much change in the UK going forward. And, you know, I, I admire the fight that people like yourself have and continue to have. And, you know, but I, I get jaded really quick mm-hmm. by the weight of it all. Um, because again, to, to, to people like you and I, it just doesn't make sense. And it's hard to accept things that don't make sense. Which is, you know, yeah. which I think leads us on perfectly to GW and hope by the end of this anecdote, we have a good idea as to why we're in the position that we are currently in the UK. So, yeah, you asked me about sort of GW and what yeah. I think are kind of its monopolistic practices. So there's a lot of stuff I'm, I can't speak to directly um, because it's somebody else's work. There are several people digging deep, and I mean fucking deep, uh, into what happened between the early 90s and about 1996. And so a lot of things happened in terms of the creation of like hemp licensing, or as, as it's actually termed in um, the license itself, low THC cannabis cultivation. Uh, that then led to, you know, I'll jump forward to California, kind of releasing the MMGA program, the so-called medical marijuana program. I'm air quoting from my listeners there. Obviously, you guys know me. I I'm, I'm, don't take those words with any great gravitas. Um, but that then kind of kick-started a thing around the world where various people went, holy shit, let's look at this thing. What's going on here? We were told that it was X, Y, Z. How can this be anything more than this? And so, yeah, there's a Royal Commission um, commissioned here in the, in the in the UK. I can't remember off the top of my head which politician it was that, that did so. And basically, they went off to look around the world and look through sort of scientific data, um, any academic data and what they could find and make an assessment of cannabis. And they basically came back and said, hey, this is a thing. Um, we need to look at changing the law around this, making it much more accessible, creating research and development funded by the government. And we should uh, allow for the creation of a private for profit industry to explore you know, these compounds and the potential future of cannabis. Flash forward a year, we're not near. About five and a half months, and boom, GW appears. And GW allegedly huge, allegedly biggest allegedly I've ever put. I can't be asked standing to defend this in a court of law, but if I'm seeing myself, I simply, I'm sorry, I got you in this mess. Uh, <laughs> GW, GW operated without a, a license for its research and development until 2001 when the misuse of drugs regulations were created, they effectively keep in place every single aspect and facet of the 1971 Misuse of Drugs Act. Um, But what they do is create a small caveat that basically states that uh, under certain strict licensing controlled by the Home Office, certain uh, Schedule 1 drugs could be explored through research um, as to, you know, potential therapeutic applications, industrial applications, etc. That was basically all the, the, the regulations did until 2018 when they uh, added in there the Schedule 2 cannabis uh, being scheduled. And I don't actually know what class it is under that schedule. That's something I should probably know. Hmm. Um, I don't know how they've, they've, they've quantified that, but it's Schedule 2 under the 2001 and still Schedule 1. And so that's where we get that juxtaposition of... Uh, of problems there. But basically, yeah, GW allegedly operated without this license. Uh, the rules then changed. They were then able to publicly start uh, doing research and development into certain cultivars. There was a whole narrative around, uh, I'll use your pseudonym rather than your real name, Sam the Skunk Man, and various of the uh, notable characters um, that led to, yeah, GW holding some very interesting genetics, what is believed to be 
a modified uh, interbred i don't know if it's actually been physically fucked with in terms of its genetics but a version of skunk number one which is said to be unlike any other lineage out there in the world i'm not sure what that means having tried skunk number one but it's yeah there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around it but basically obviously they then went into uh, creation of sativex around sort of ms we then had at the same time cannabis going down from a class c uh, b to a class c uh, still schedule one under labor at the time this caused a giant headache to GW and others because obviously cannabis awareness and consumption increased dramatically. Uh, this led to calls for decriminalization, legalization, different forms of law reform. And then somewhere around, let's call it 2004, not pinning it too hard, skunk psychosis becomes a narrative. Very interesting terms given GW growing a cultivar called skunk. You know, skunk wasn't very popular of, of, of a term really until this genetic ended up being locked in a, a, a grow facility and research laboratory. And yeah, various pieces start appearing in newspapers and, and on, uh, I can say state media, we don't have state media for all the BBC effectively is. Um, showing my inclinations there, sorry folks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, these narratives started to get pushed more and more of super skunk, super strong cannabis being dangerous, while at the same time, skunk being you know quantified by uh, Professor David Nutt, who I would still love to get on this podcast, but can't seem to get him to answer an email or message from me. Um, he defines it as being less than 1% CBD, more than, was it 17%, 14% THC? For, yeah, and um, yeah, skunk test higher than that in terms of the cultivar skunk number one. And so it's an interesting juxtaposition. While one was being investigated for medicine over here, there was this narrative emerging that it's a dangerous drug. But then all of a sudden, Tbex lands on the market, and then through a lot of lobbying, it's available on, on the NHS. It's obviously incredibly cost prohibitive, but for certain individuals, you know, private citizens, again, not going to go into some of the allegations and narratives about how that kind of came to be, um, but pressure was put on to certain individuals to make that accessible for, for them and their families. Um, and then, yeah, GW in that process, I think, gained 180 uh, I can't read that page in my head, 180-something patents for everything from oral spray, uh, sublingual, uh, CO2 extractions, da-da-da, 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 and they built this. And then all of a sudden, uh, Hannah Deacon and Mike Barnes on one side of it and Mr. Moore and Voltface, these two campaigns kickstart, and yeah, all of a sudden, GW becomes that a little bit more profitable than a product that they've been working on. Epidiolex is kind of rushed through, allegedly rushed through certain um, testing and protocols and yeah, it's, it's brought to market. Then obviously we have COVID hits and in America, at the height of it all, they managed to lobby the FDA and get it schedule five in the States. So it's effectively over the counter and they're charging or they were charging $3,200 a year. Uh, for for the for the product and so yeah there's these juxtaposing things then obviously 2018 and it happens and the the law changes here in the UK there's an explosion of interest pressure on the financial conduct authority and others to allow for uh, money to be flow in terms of investment and whatever else and then GW start getting itchy feet and lucky for them Jazz decides to step in and again huge allegedly here one of the narratives that I've seen emerging from fairly reputable sources although again this is just in discourse not in actual we studied the data here's what we believe but jazz being oncologist specialists 
and GW having patents for cannabinoids and uh, profiles of certain ratios of cannabinoids and terpenes being uh, treatments for cancer is quite beneficial to them. And obviously we have the Cancer Act in the UK in 1937, although the vast majority of that is redacted, retracted, there's still one line within it that basically states the advertising uh, of cures for cancer that are not basically approved by the state is still a criminal offence. So it seems to be that they're kind of moving out of a, a limited market um, while there is this kind of new money. But I imagine GW just sitting there, or Jazz and GW, or I suppose it's trading under Jazz these days, or they'll just buy up anything they see that they like, same as Canopy or Tilbury or anybody else. They'll let the little guys play and get their toys together and go, oh, we'll have that, thank you. Yeah. And even then, again, above them, you've got your Vanguards, your Black Rocks, uh, I suppose even you, you, the subsidiary of like Blackstone and that, they're all tied to the investment firms. I mean, you've got private holdings over in the States. You've got various fir firms and funds, some that were obviously connected to previous politicians' uh, partners. Yeah. And yeah, there's a whole narrative there that really emerges to we are seriously corrupted What because they want to have their cake and eat it, basically. They want to be able to say it's a medicine when we sell it and we control it and we govern it, but it's a dangerous psychoactive drug that causes addiction so that they can justify, you know, stopping searches. They can justify over-policing, fucking violent raids, you know, uh, all these county lines teams that they're putting together and all this other shit that is effectively just taking down young entrepreneurs. Yeah, there are some human traffickers and some really fucked up people in this space that I agree. Let's get them the fuck out. Mm -hmm. But... Towering us all with the same brush isn't going to fucking help. No, no. And I think that the two biggest question marks for me over G, the whole GW story, and I guess, okay, not not for legal reasons, but let's just look at the other side, not not GW themselves, right? But who allowed them to be the sole license holder, which I believe is sole license holder for that for that enterprise for so long. I think for 18 years they were sole license holder or yeah, something that, like that. that. That surely goes a lot against um, you know, monopolization laws and things like that. Because you're give, basically giving someone the the right to go, well, there's 18 years of a head start on everyone else. You know, meanwhile, then it brings me to the second point. I think between the acquisitions and the self-filed, I think there's over 210 patents. Been a right. while, obviously, since I read that page. But yeah, yeah <laughs> I, just... I think that I, it may even be more since I read. Yeah, it. I was going to say it's just probably. Wait, wait, wait. There's another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some of those, some of the detail and some of those paintings were like crazy. And here's the thing, Simba. If they, if Jazz decided, and it looks like they might, there was a, there was one filed in the US, I believe. But if they start actually clamping down and trying to cash in on all those patents, the the full industry could self-implode in some respects. You know, because they've actually, and it's again, it goes back to that other thing. Like, and 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 plant science, right? If you've um, if you've bred like wheat, for example, to have a special resistance against the disease, right? And you've found the gene that's responsible for that. You can patent that gene for that use, right? Which I think patenting genes is fucking sketchy yeah. at best, right? But the, the 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 kind of way that it's done is that okay for so we discovered that this gene is useful for this so we can patent that process but if that gene is useful for something else then we're not covered there right yeah you can argue back and forth but it seems more fair than just being able to patent the gene wholesale right this is you know again who allowed one company to, to I guess the patents international probably right so it's. I guess a bit trickier, mm -hmm. but 
just the fact that if it was government funded and government initiative led this whole GW thing, then why was so much patents be allowed to fail? Because those things are bloody expensive as well, super expensive. And like, where was the money coming from to fail all those patents in the first place? Do you know what I mean? This and then, you know, if, like I say, if they start now enforcing those patents, it could absolutely cripple the industry. And a lot of these guys who are in Canada and the US doing now what was once a black market trade legally, expert extractors and hash makers and, you know, boutique um, growers and all these people, right? They could potentially all be put out of business again because these patents are enforced. And again, it just doesn't make sense to me why you would allow one company to have complete control and monopoly over that entire sector, that entire plant, which we now know is probably one of the most useful plants on earth, given its, its various compounds, its various uses, not just within the the, the, the medical and, and health space, but also in, in textiles and, 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 and um, material chemistry in, in general, you know, from fire resistance and insulation all the way through to superconductors and all the rest of it. The, the plant holds an incredible range of, of, of potential and just mm -hmm. to give, you know, just to know that one company who had a head start ahead, ahead of everyone else, at least in this country, have monopolized and just taken all these pains. Something for me, again, not, not blaming them for doing it. Okay. Just like who allowed that to happen and why was mm -hmm. it allowed to happen? And why was other people who were trying, I know because they were there, I know people who were trying to get in the licensed space alongside and they were just laughed at. Practically, there were no responses. There was no, you know, there was no way in, um, which is, again... And then, sorry, sir, but jumping all over the place a little bit again, but I wanted to make sure we touched mm. on this. I'm a big, you know, like what, what is regarded as hemp. In the UK, if you fl farm hemp, you cannot harvest the top third of the plant, the fl flowering tops, as it's called, which is criminally, just absolute criminal debilitating um, on, on any farmer try to do that compared to their European counterparts, mm -hmm. for instance. I would love to see even just a, a way forward with that right now. Like I know the, the fight is bigger than that, and it's not about piecemeal. I just feel that I want more hemp products. You know, I, I use that term hemp loosely, but I want more hemp products available. Mm. It's something that I think is a material that we need more. It's, as you say, all the carbon capture, regenerative, long-lasting material, you know, all this kind of stuff. Even if we just had some listening in that respect, I would be happy as, a, as someone who's been in this industry three years, if I seen that change, I would be super happy with that mm. on its own. You know, that, would, that seems like a big milestone and much more achievable in my eyes than what we hope for um, overall, you know, this conversation has been centered around basically, which is, mm. which is complete freedom. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose to go to the GW thing uh, on paper, I suppose it's literally the home office. If you then want to really delve into it, there are certain individuals that are still in certain positions that were in positions when they started. There are trails that could be followed where people leave certain roles and go into other roles. Uh, most of this is publicly available through companies' house, etc. Uh, being deliberately quite vague, like I said, because there are others investigating this. But one of the narratives that I mean, I, I agree. Yeah, the monopolies thing is bullshit. That somebody has deliberately done what they've done, and it's almost a feeling that no, we're looking into this. GW have got it handled. 
you know we've yeah. got we've got a cannabis thing they'll figure it out and it's they've just kind of left it to the to the side and i believe most of it is ignorance but there are a few very malicious actors that have, have built their way into that system and just for sort of the record uh, one of the founders when it was sold i think he made 60 it was either 50 million quid or 60 million quid um personally off the sale i think it's 64 million dollars was i think what his personal takeaway from the sale of that, that company was um obviously they had legacy investors and shareholders that had a much higher stake in, in the company and everybody kind of got bought out as, as shares become other shares as they do so you get bought out a market rate or a proposed rate the proposed rate was market rate which was exceptionally high for for, for what it was uh so a lot of people made a lot of fucking money so they were quite quite happy with that to go down um on the sort of the 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 hemp egg what's hemp thing um i agree i agree entirely except for obviously the usage of the word word hemp i think that that is an impediment to the evolution of an industrial cannabis sector uh we know from various sort of metadata analysis in american analysis of production in various states that the amount of biomass that can be produced from cannabis is in over an arbitrary level of thc versus air quotes hemp low thc under an arbitrary level uh, is phenomenal in terms of its rooting capability, its detoxification of soils, uh, its ability to, again, another thing of, of rooting is holding together ground bases. So it's in, incredibly useful, not just as building a resource, but in terms of waterway management, in terms of uh, stopping desertification, de- uh, deforestation, uh, habitat and eco collapse, et cetera. So cannabis is a wilding cannabis, I think to me is, is possibly one of the biggest things that humanity needs to look at doing. We have, we've yeah. eradicated we've eradicated billions of plants that sequester three hundred. I mean, these are just on average THC producing plants. So it's three hundred twenty five kilograms of carbon per ton when grown outside. Obviously, that varies in different areas, but sequestering that carbon, allowing it to die, reseed, go through hermaphrodization, go through natural sexing processes that cannabis will do to try and continue its lineage, and we end up with just carbon sinks. And so that deals that deals with your carbon over one way, but that material would be too inv- too valuable in, as you say, industrial so-called hemp sector. And that's not ever going to get to them being cannabis until you get rid of the drug value of cannabis. So yeah. everything is so interrelated that they're not going to allow for ubiquity of industry until they own enough of the industry. Nor would they ever allow for an honest conversation about what cannabis could truly do for humanity because it's antithetical to patents and profiteering and CEO massive salaries and there's something in the nature of cannabis that it won't allow it we can grow it in our bedrooms and evidently a lot of us can grow better than the clinics that we've been provided product from it's it's an it's an interesting thing but I agree in terms of its usage the last point I want to make on it is how much material are we currently destroying from home growers that could be made into clothing homes insulation batteries ethanol just just biomass in general for yeah exactly and and then the other point I was wanting to make on that is is one of the species that can uh, that's actually copes quite well with monocropping, you know they just grow in the same mm. thing in the same field over and over without yep. replenishment. If you if you harvest the tops and leave the roots in the ground, if the soil's rich, the biome rich, those roots will, will serve the the bugs and those bugs will serve the next plants that's growing there, and that mm. cycle is quite sustainable. With I mean obviously the bringing in some amendments will help maintain yields and stuff. There will be a linear decline and and if you, if it keeps growing and growing and growing, obviously it's going to take more resources out mm-hmm. of the ground than it can leave behind. I mean, you, can't the, the, a, you can't have a positive differential in that respect, but compared mm-hmm. to 
all the other a lot of the other crops it does deposit a fair whack back out there mm. and you know if you've been anywhere if they've grown where they recycle cannabis so, uh, grown soil right without any amendments if you watch what grows in that 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 soil that's been is it's quite impressive mm-hmm. it's quite impressive there was a couple of gardens i visited in california they take their old big pots and then they put tomatoes and chilies and different peppers and things like that in them don't they just water them and Mm-hmm. You've seen these plants; it was unbelievable, and that's one of the other values of, of farming cannabis. It actually requires very little from the farmer. You mm-hmm. can just grow it, and you know we've got. I think we've got a hemp shortage in the world. Um, that's maybe a stretch in some people's minds, but like you know, ask people like Jamie Bartlett who runs the Unite Group and stuff like that. You know, they, mm-hmm. we could be doing with more available raw material, and as you say, there's there's so much of it discarded. Um, and and even even on the especially on the commercial scale, I've I've witnessed it with my own mm-hmm. eyes. Um, you know that, that companies that produce you know tons upon tons per year of dry flour, and what happens to their waste is mm-hmm. not is not used sensibly. It's generally incinerated. Do you know, you know? Do you know why? I found out this when I was in Mendocino and I uh, pointed out to one of the farmers when we came out of his dry room and he showed me this mountain in the distance. I went, what the fuck's that? That's our mulching pile for all our sticks and stems. And we started talking about all the myriad of different applications and the guy just got madder and madder and he was like, I am lawfully not allowed to touch that. They would take my license if I process air quotes hemp because that pile would be air quotes hemp, whereas I'm licensed for air quotes cannabis. It's again these the language, the arbitrary distinction. Like again, like people have pointed out, I've had I've got some of these giant hemp uh what do we call them? You guys call them hemp bricks. I call it cancrete. Because hemp hempcrete UK is, is a company name. Uh and so it's in the same way of like calling all vacuum cleaners uh Hoovers or Dyson. So, and that doesn't care what it's built of. I could have made that out of, you know, twenty-five percent THC. You definitely couldn't call that hemp. So it yeah. just, I think the language, it restricts us, it limits us. And I think if we can liberate cannabis and all be proud to speak her name, because scientifically in the nomenclature, there is cannabises, which is the, the family. From that, there is the genus of cannabis, which has the subgenus cannabis sativa, or sorry, cannabis sativa L. Uh, and then in that is cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, cannabis ruderalis. So obviously there's a lot of different research or whatever being developed at the minute, but in terms of global consensus on the, the science and nomenclature today, that's where we stand. There isn't hemp and hemp is, if I'm in Singapore, a bad example, bad example. If I'm in China and I'm looking at hemp, or if I'm then in Canada and looking at hemp, these are different plants, different expressions. And the arbitrary limit is different in the UK or to 0.2, under 0.2, that's so-called air quotes hemp. Oh, I'm in Switzerland now. Hemp's up to 1% THC. Yeah. It's all arbitrary. And the language I think causes, causes us to end up getting getting lost and i say this as a, as a neurodivergent individual that can't help but be so fastidious about the language and that's where i've got stuck for so many years in this is i agree with 90 percent of what people are saying but when they say it they i'm gonna sound like those hippies that told me off in glastonbury one time um they cast your words cast spells do you know what i mean so we we, we hypnotize each other through our language and so when we reiterate this language in these sound bites we give them new definitions in our imaginations that aren't true in practicality. So when we're saying to each other, yeah, we need legalization, we're hearing, yeah, end the war, I should be able to do what I want. 
when the politicians and the corporates that are part of the these cabals of individuals that are controlling this hear that, they're like, jobs for the boys. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, do you know what? It, it brings me to a larger point that transcends cannabis completely, which is the, the, the overuse of averages and generalized metrics. Like now we know, so you can set a test. You go to school, university, whatever. You can sit, do a test in ge- geography. I mean, it's not exactly the high, highest level of question, but just say, what is the landmass of the UK? You know, that has a square mileage or square kilometer metric that you can put down on paper, right? And you can get that question right or wrong depending on what you write down. If mm. the number that you write down matches the number that they have, then that's correct, and you're deemed smart because you know the size of Britain, right? The size of Britain's changing all the time. It's got it's surrounded by coastline, which is constantly moving, right? We don't take into account the topology, and if we did, we have to draw a line under it because you can't take into account every blade of grass as the you know what I'm saying. Hmm. So at some point, we've got to say, all right, and it's it's it's, it's, it's part of what we do now. It's, it's it's a science based, and I come from that background, right? So it's kind of weird that I'm the one bringing this out and criticising it. But the overuse of averages, the overuse of just generalising information, which is highly complex, highly complex information being simplified for ease of use. Mm-hmm. Cannabis is the epitome of that, and hemp is a really good example of that. It's a, it's a way to generalise and, 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 and reduce the complexity of something which is on a crazy spectrum and just to draw arbitrary lines in the sand and say this is that and that is that bang bang we'll work under that premise again as we as we grow as a, as a society and as we um, intellectualize going forward because what we learn what people learned at uh, college you know 190 50 years ago you know you're now learning in high school you know there's that you know faster accumulation of knowledge thing going on all the time so maybe what I'm looking for is something that's just maybe too is, is uh, we're as a society to in our infancy to, to 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 really work with that, but that's the reality of nature. That's the reality of the world. Nothing has a clear metric, but we uh, we can sit test and get it right and wrong and be thinking, well, he's smart and he's not. If you get that number right, but it's it's not actually a real number. It doesn't mm-hmm. actually exist. It never. It, it doesn't actually help anything except the fact that it's a measure of what you understand. And you know, just to bring it back to cannabis, that's what I think we're 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 dealing with as well. We're trying to categorize and cage something which is true to its nature, even when it's being inbred to six and seven generations, even when it's being scrutinized in the lab, it still tends to have its own personality, you know. And I'll give a quick antidote on on, on that, which I've told many people, maybe yourself before, but um there's an experiment done in Canada. They took 25 identical clones which were derived from tissue culture and they grew them in a tiny little environment and they just turned them into flower real quick. And the idea was to see, measure the variance between the plants, right? When they looked at the, just the basic cannabinoid and terpene profile between these 25 genetically identical derived from the same callus cell mass and the same mini environment, they found high variance that no two plants were the same. Now, you know, that's, for a genetic and biological standpoint, that's worrying, because how can you do any valid test with sensible repeats? But this is, this is, this is, this is why cannabis, cannabis has opened my eyes to this idea that not everything is a set metric. Everything has 
there's there's almost subjectivity in everything because you have like I say with, with the bloody grass on the football field a football field is 100 yards long by you know 60 feet wide or whatever it's meant to be but if you take the topology of the grass and now you can't do that some uh-huh. you know even if we got an AI machine and it would somehow do a little bit it would measure so much of it and then it would average what the rest is you know uh-huh. count, the, count the, the amount of grass in one square centimetre and then do the math and then that'll be roughly what it is but it's not uh-huh. what it is do you see what I'm trying to say the, unless you count every fucking blade of grass and then every little worm turd that comes out of there that changes the topology do you see what I'm saying the, the surface area of that pitch alone is, is something we cannot grasp but yeah. that is the complexity of nature the natural world that we, we live in and then, um, mm-hmm. and cannabis epitomizes that. And I think, although you have to draw lines in the sand somewhere, I think we've we've done it far too early and far too upstream with cannabis, and hence why we still use the word hemp because it is it does mean something and it is useful to. Cause when I say to you hemp, you know what I'm talking about, and I know what mm-hmm. you're talking about. Even though I think we both, without saying it out loud, I think we both object somewhat to the term hemp. You know, because it's just an it's just a man made configuration of 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 you know a THC level essentially. Mm. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, the thing with the hemp that really frustrates me is it comes to us through the Saxon, through the uh, Proto-Germanic language, which comes ultimately from the Sumerians and means cannabis. So it's frustrating when people say like hemp cannabis, and you say it's like cannabis cannabis. And it's just yeah. it it it's it it's good yeah for the people that then know, but what it also does is create an entire industry for people to grow cannabis, to trade cannabis, to produce products, to have an industry that regardless of how much money they're making or whatever, they are not paranoid about the police. Their root their bedrooms are not getting raided, their houses are not getting their doors taken off at five in the morning. It's a different reality. And unless that is predicated on understanding and helping that other group you are profiteering and taking advantage of prohibition rather than yeah. doing anything to cease it so it's it's a deep source of frustration to me it's an argument i'm gonna keep fighting because you know yeah. me I, I like to i like to have these sort of debates and discussions but i agree other than the word of conceptual like i said the vast majority of what is being said in that space obviously the science suggests that if it was actual cannabis was allowed to not be as restrictive we could produce far more products but I understand how that then complicates the sectioning of the industry they've created. Because for me, yeah. it's cannabis is so multifaceted. It, it it can't be pigeonholed into anything. As you say, the yeah. the measuring of it, the expression of it is down to the, the fucking density of the atoms around it. You know, there's yeah, we get into I speak to breeders all the time, and no matter we go through all the science, and we're like, yeah, 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 and then we arrive at a point of kind of looking at each other, like, can we say this? And we're like, you know, the other thing, you know, what you're like, you know, the love element, because there's this, <laughs> there's this thing. It's it, that's all you can describe it as it, love or the energy and commitment in symbiosis that you have with that plant. It it fucking adds something. It's not quantifiable by modern science, but man, when I go and when I've travelled the world and I've seen people's like big grows, and I'm like, yeah, it's all cool and that. I want to see what what you grow. I'm like, take me, take me to your your little bit. You know what I mean? And when I go back to their crib and the show, whatever, and it's that's the one they've spoke to every morning. That's the one they've loved, they've cared about, they've tended to. And there's just more to it that even if you measured it, yeah, the profiles are similar or whatever, but there's a, there's a thing there. Yeah. I mean, it's two things in one. I think it's the attention to, you can only give your attention to so many individuals, right? Mm -hmm. If you're growing 4,000 plants, you can't give them the same attention as you're doing four plants. 
right? Yeah. And it's part of what I often cite as the problem with upscaling, which I've seen in the, 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 the commercial market with people coming from the black market who had small base, basement grows or whatever, and then they try and do you know, a, a full-scale commercial grow, and it goes wrong many, many times over because it's a completely different management system, right? Growing that amount of plants is it's not the same kind of thing. It's a different job altogether because it, one of the things being is you can't give each of those 4,000 plants the same care and attention. And the second thing was, Kyle, bring up Kyle Esplin again, the chairman of the Scottish Hemp Association, um, but he, he's got evidence of, I think, let me get this right, Hemp samples from the 70s with 1, 2, and 3% THC and confiscated drug marijuana confiscated at the same time with 1, and 2, and 3% THC. Do you know what I mean? Which is just like, I think it says it all right there. It's like, you know, it's what you said. It's not one thing. It's it's many things. And well, if, you, if you look at the, the European list of, of hemp cultivars, equivalent hemp cultivars, low THC cultivars, most of them, well, this sounds stupid. Again, it sounds so weird in my head saying this. Most of them are cannabis. Obviously, they're all cannabis. But what I'm saying is most of them were cannabis that have been bred down. They're, yeah. they're projects where they've worked to get this. They've found it's got a lower THC ratio. And it, it works well in the environments they want to acclimatize it to. You do a little bit of work, basically stressing and, and uh, working it down through interbreeding. And, yeah, you can end up with a cultivar that will express what you want. But as soon as you remove those restrictions, or shit, even when you still keep applying them, the plant goes, no. Like the number of people yeah. that get it done for hot crops, which is hilarious yeah. to me in terms of the terminology, not that people lose livelihoods and get fined and whatever else. Um, but again, that speaks to why cannabis decriminalization. I mean, I, I'm an advocate for descheduling and decriminalizing and then creating a lawful regulated industry. The lawful regulated industry being everything that legalization provides, but not under that framework. I personally feel that everyone that already cultivates cannabis should be decriminalized and allowed to do it. There shouldn't be those offenses for the cannabis-related offenses of cultivation, possession, distribution. Because effectively what legalization does, like I said, it shits on the people previous. They don't get their life protected, but all these new consumers do. And it's just this... Mm hypocrisy of the way things go. I mean, how can we ever address the injustices of that, which has been, it's all well and good going, oh yeah, with cannabis roots was racism and classist and saying the token gestures. But do you actually understand what it means? Like you do, obviously, in terms of your youth, to see economies, microeconomies that only exist because of drug sales, to meet some of the nicest fucking human beings, most creative, most wonderful people locked into the worst socioeconomic positions, yet they will still tick you on for a month to keep see you by because they say to see you fucking suffer. They'll never pressure you for it. They'll help set you up if you wanted. They'll help connect you to other people. They are entrepreneurs. They are angels. They are individuals that are deemed to be unsuccessful because they don't want to make a fuck ton of money out of what they do. They just help people that land in front of them. And they're the ones I want to see recompensed first, rewarded first for their action, acknowledged first. So that when we write the history of the end of cannabis prohibition, it's acknowledged, fuck writing me into it. I'm just a mouthpiece trying to bring the stories to the world, as it were. But there are people whose names will never be known, names that I can't speak on this podcast for respect for them, that need yeah. to be put in the history books because fuck me, if it wasn't for them, none of this would be here. Well, that's, I mean, that's why most of those modern, I mean, nearly all the modern genetics that we use and revere have all been bred in this crazy, you know, illegal citizen science project 
Do you know what I mean? They've all been crazy. It's, it's crazy how that's worked out, and it's given mm. us such a... Even though the, the gene pool is small, relatively speaking, the diversity in that small gene pool is huge. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. it's, it's, it's insane. And I just wanted to hit back on that and, and bring us back quickly, because unfortunately I'm to head soon, but um, no bring us back to the, the, the Durham thing, right? When I knew someone in Durham when I lived there, and he went round, right? And he was just, it was just interesting. He was an ex-student for the university that fell in love with the city that like many of us do. And he stayed there and he didn't use his academic um, achievements to work. He just, I think he worked in Tesco to begin with and ended up having his own business and whatnot. But anyway, he, um, at one point, he just started to pull together a data sheet, right? And he, and I, he showed me this data sheet and he says, what I've done was I've just looked at, because he, Durham City is a kind of weird environment in the sense that the university has such a big influence on the city and it's and it's you know wealth that's there yeah it's, it's the city's rich because of the students right which is a kind of one one lose situation depending on how you look at it but mm. anyway what he'd done was he compiled a list of the cost and various different places in and around county durham so County Durham itself, even the, I think I forget all the names of the place, Northley, you know, Thornley, um, it went down to Sunderland. It, you know, he'd been around mm -hmm. quite a lot of different places and he got, you know, what was the last bloody name of the place, man? I've been away too long, so I apologize. I thought I was going to rhyme off a list of places there, but they escaped <laughs> me. Anyway, but it was really interesting because what we what we seen was in, in the more in the lower social class areas and the places that were more deprived. The cost of cannabis was significantly lower than it was in, like, say, Durham City, etc. You know, and they, that was the, to, to the tune of like almost half at the times what mm -hmm. what they were paying for an ounce in Durham City at that time. They were paying for a hundred quid um, just just by driving like you know twenty miles south, mm -hmm. um, which was just you know absolutely. Well, was it shocking? I think it was shocking to me because coming through from the you know teenage years you almost thought oh that's the price oh the prices went up and now it's that price and you just thought that was fairly universal and then um, but it's interesting because you know that was like somewhere around 2016-17 right so before legalized bill before before medical was allowed and it's just interesting that I don't think that that's changed I don't think that gulf has changed in that time yeah. you know which is again it's I think it's, it's it's testament to what you're saying. Those communities that have those players, they're not all crazy lunatic drug dealers running about with machetes and, mm -hmm. and you know hitting people who don't pay them and, and you know all that kind of associated organised crime. Sometimes it's just people who fell in love with the plant and they share it with their their people and they pay them for that privilege essentially to grow it. You know that's how it mm -hmm. sometimes looks for the outside anyway. And that's what that that's what this chap who I won't name's um, observation was as well. You know, mm -hmm. um, he has a I don't know I don't mind me saying he has a, a a business which is food orientated, and he said for a long time he wants to put those two worlds together if if it's ever you know if he's ever able to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think you know with, with the odd exception here and there though. I think you're right. I think a lot of these innovators and, and people in that space who are currently serving their their, their communities, they, they'll be, I don't know what they'll do after, you know, if, 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 if it becomes dispensary-based and big big corporation-based and, like, hopefully they maintain a black market like they did in Canada, you know, which seems to be, I don't know, a good thing because 
here's the thing that there's never really spoken about the black about the black market side of things, right? It's a self-regulating system. The the people who are buying will not tolerate drops below certain standards, right? Mm. And like that's why you get and 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 when I was growing up, there was lots of talks about um organized gangs um from the Chinese community, for example, in Glasgow, they would bring in um illegal um immigrants to, to to basically live in houses which were entire farms and i know that like um there's a lot of issues with albanian um based um growers in england as well right now and those are not what i'm talking about here at all that's the that that is the organized and the kind of bad side of things right this is what you were saying it's the individual people who have an initiative and that is going to be taken away i think if you know and in, in certain as things unfold the way that it's unfolding bit by bit and like you know as you say squeezing every dime out of it because look what happened in the US where guys who were producing a pound for a pound of cannabis um let me get my numbers right they were getting two and a half grand for it 2017 now you're lucky to be getting between 250 and 500 dollars for the same amount you know, depending on where it's it's coming from in terms of uh, if it's light deprived, if it's outdoor, etc., that's down into the hundreds. Uh, yeah, a large, yeah. a larger wholesale. It's, but it's, it's, all, all that does is that promotes those individuals to sell it as a brand outside of the regulated market. And I think the UK will continue to do what we've done, and we'll do that. Um, I don't think it'll harm the so-called black market, unregulated market, I think it will increase it as we've seen everywhere because once awareness comes up, people go to the defenses, try whatever, and they go, this corporate shit, it's soulless, it's empty, it's vapid, it's void. I want to go to the guy who really grew it and hear the stories and learn about the culture and the heritage and dive into it. Cannabis is far more than the action of consumption. Do you know what I mean? It's There is a whole community, subculture, that again needs to be honoured that you cannot corporately replicate you have to allow there to be legacy um so, so, so i mean they are in america with like so some social licensing etc but you still need to gain capital and everything else that means effectively you lose control but in terms of the, the durham thing um probably been a lot of my mates um because <laughs> there's a general thing up here because of that the students get preferential treatment if you're caught in the city with the drug and you're a student they take the drug off you you go back to halls no problem if you're a local you get in trouble for it. And it created this real desperate kind of, uh, sorry, disparate disparate, uh, divide between the communities. Um, And yeah, it meant that if you kind of knew knew the grower or you knew the guy, it'd almost be the way you present, how you sell your voice. Is it a raw and yaw? And that kind of, as you will have heard for many years in Durham, that overly indulged, heavily... well poshed off kind of yeah it's a yeah. it's a it's a fake accent effectively i mean not some people talk to certain degrees of it but i've heard you all drunk i hear you when you let it slip <laughs> um but yes yeah, so this is that sort of thing but as you say self-sufficiency people will always choose to do it and actually even though we've seen the hydro industry get decimated under legal regions there is a thriving community of people still sharing this knowledge and information and we'll continue to work together and share what we can. Yeah, there'll be con men and yeah, there'll be other people entering the space. Um, there's just one final point I want to bring up from before and then, yeah, I'll I'll let you go. Um, and I've instantly forgot it. God damn it, I was doing so well. Uh, something you said earlier about... No, it's gone, it's gone. Whatever. I'll... I'll, I'll... I was going to say, we can, we can chat on a minute to see if it comes back to you, if you like. 
because because the other thing I was going to I'm going to ask you is that I've been away from Durham for six almost six years now. Um, and I was going to say when I was there, there was a the, the, the constable had a the chief constable had a very relaxed view on self consumption and even even self home grow. Is that still kind of the case up there, or has it changed? And unfortunately, not. I have a video on my YouTube channel that still gets quite a few views that I call like an introduction to cannabis policy in Durham. I think I need to do an update on that because unfortunately, mm-hmm. Ron died. It was our PCC. Uh, by Mike Barton, who was our chief constable, he retired about six months after. Uh, the new individuals in charge are the ones leading the call to ban nitrous, ox- nitrous oxide. They're seeking more funding for antisocial behaviour and declaring, you know, cannabis consumption to be antisocial behaviour. Um, they're kind of betraying the legacy of, of what you know Ron and Mike did. They did some amazing work in terms of helping out with heroin-assisted treatments, you know, dealing with certain brothels and, and sex work and what they did around drug consumption and everything else. That They created the checkpoint diversion scheme, now used by, I think, 9 out of 43 constabularies. Um, yeah, it's it's a shame where, where we're at in, in Durham. Um, we led the charge for a long way, and I thought... I mean, the, the police got it. And this is the final point I'll make for anyone out there. It's the police have a lot more empathy than you think. Not your average Bobby on the beat. They, no offense to them, don't necessarily have the capability to comprehend the complexity of these arguments. But a lot of the chief constables and that, they start to understand that it's far better to let home grow happen, to let home dealing happen, because that money stays here. The Albanians, the triads, any other organized entities, we have Russians, you got Vietnamese, you got all sorts of people. The vast majority of that money leaves the country. If we have corporate legalization, where do you think all that money is going to go? Yeah. To the Caymans. It's it's if you want to help, as you see, the 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 guys that were selling, you know, fucking we used to call them Swifties, 750s, just like a sixteenth of, of taco yeah. hash. Um, and they would shut them on street corners and that and on bikes, and they were paying for their kids to have dinner that night. That'll always have to happen because the system under legalization will not give them a job in a dispensary or in a clinic or in a grow room because no man, my accent and that, like they're just that they just they present wrongly to the establishment. Ooh, lower class, ooh, uneducated, ooh. Yet some of the people who sound the roughest, fuck me, they would put academics to shame that I know. Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's insane. Well, yeah. it's, it's funny because I, I always, I, I'll share a quick anecdote before I go. Is when I was, when I was studying at Glasgow, um, I had a couple, a couple of jobs, you know, like paying my way through, and and and, and I always made the snapshot. I was working in the Marriott and the bar, right, which is quite a highbrow bar, but it was the only one I could get that suited my hours to, to mm-hmm. be studying. And what was interesting is the snapshot of people there versus the snapshot of people when I was at Durham doing my PhD. They saw all the, the cohort I was in. Everybody's doing a PhD. If I compared those two groups intellectually, I could see no notable difference, none at all. There was nothing that stood out in any way. Like, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you talk to people and they're very good at passing exams or they're very good at remembering passages of information and that's what got them to where they are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the ability to think, create your own arguments, create your own visions, even creatively, you know, like that's what I think is, that's what I think is the bottom of intelligence, actually, simple is unleashing your creativity because it allows your brain to work in new and wonderful ways to acquire the knowledge it needs to get to the next point. So if you're highly creative, don't let anyone tell you that you're not intelligent because that is not the case at all. Intelligence comes from creativity, in my opinion, and Mm -hmm. being book smart and learning 
passages and information and reciting them doesn't necessarily make your t- intelligence, but your ability to think is what makes you intelligent. So my, my antidote is these two different cohorts, no, no, no notable difference in terms of, the, you know, intelligence as far as I could observe, really mm. what it was was just different lines of inquiry and different achievements and different skill sets. But for some reason, society awards all these people with pieces of paper which say that they are supposedly the smart ones in the room, do you know what I mean? Which is just mm-hmm. not always true. It's definitely not always true. And I was actually disappointed because I was sweating going into that environment, coming from a working class background, thinking, shit, how am I going to keep up with these people? And then it turned out, all oh, right, they're just normal people like everyone else and there's no actual, you mm-hmm. know, step up in anything. You know, there's not. Yeah. And that's, that's where we're at. And so just to your point, you know, people who have a funny accent or, you know, I, I certainly have a much softer accent now than I started off with when I moved out of Scotland. That was mm. more just to get by and not have to repeat myself so much. But <laughs> um, but no, your, your point is true, man. If you, if you go too far into that side of things, you're immediately judged by the other groups as being, you know, inferior in some way, which is just lunacy because some, some of the most innovative and crazy out-the-box thinking has come from those communities, you know? 100%. 100%. I think that's a, a wonderful place to end this podcast. I got one question in to my notes, <laughs> so going to have to get you back on again in the not-too-distant future, brother. And, yeah, we'll continue this conversation, but I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and greatly appreciate your time. Yeah, well, let's well, this, this make this part one of two then. I'm quite happy because I think we we still got quite a few things that we never got to, and I can see the sun's pushing me further back here with my stripy blinds. So, um, so yeah, a good place to end it. But, yeah, let's, let's arrange to, to do a part two soon and we can get to the rest of those questions. I'm sure at this rate we'll get, you know, probably be a four-parter to get through those questions. But, but all, the more the merrier. I think it's been been refreshing. Mm-hmm. You know, like like I said, I've been looking forward to coming on for a while, and it's certainly not not disappointed. Um, yeah, th- thanks for and thanks for your efforts, man. Like you know, people like you absolutely needed in in these kind of um, movements. You know that you 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 are the pioneer. You are the frontline fighter, as as it were. And you know we appreciate that. Um, vastly because not all of us can do that and not all of us are willing to do that so um, yeah kudos man I hope, you, I hope you take time to you know appreciate what you've achieved in, mm-hmm. in that respect because you've found your voice and you've shared your opinions and you know I find them to be most uplifting and inspiring because they're, they're closer to the truth than sometimes you get from organised industry let's just say mm-hmm. <clears throat> I greatly appreciate that I really do, brother. And yeah, thank you. It's yeah, been a pleasure. We'll get part two in the diary before too long. Uh, I'll let you get off before you get guillotined by that ray of sunlight. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's been awesome, brother. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Likewise. Cheers, Sam Pablo. We'll speak uh, soon. Cheers, brother. I'll do some housekeeping, so I'll let you exit. Okay. Yeah. I... Speak soon. Peace. Bye. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, folks. That was uh, Dr. Gary Yates. I... I know I say this every week, but I did thoroughly enjoy that conversation. Uh, we covered one, one, one question. Um, I think actually some of these we kind of did touch on, uh, like the hemp myth. Um, we talked about some of the issues around academic data and sort of the scientific literacy. Uh, didn't get on to actually what he does in any of his roles. Um, wanted to discuss more actually of his time in Durham University. Um interesting to get sort of an outsider's view on the city uh maybe that's just maybe a conversation i should have privately i'm just curious you know i've lived here most of my life and i love this little city um and i've had my fair share of issues with the students and the student population 
So to actually be able to discuss with somebody that I, I respect in the space um, about the history of their time in Durham, I think would be quite beneficial to me personally. Maybe not you guys. Uh, let me know in the comments if you want me to ask him about his time in Durham Uni. Uh, yeah, thank you. If you've made it this long, this far, I know it's quite hard to get through uh, these these podcasts. I do like long format. I just I find it's... The best way to get a raw and authentic conversation, and that's our tagline these days, uh, but it's it's true. I want to understand people, why they operate in these spaces, what their beliefs are, what their truth is, what they've come to find so that I can learn from them and we can learn together. We can understand, you know, why certain things are the way they are. Yeah, just wanted to say thank you again to everyone uh, that came to Product Earth uh, for supporting the stall, for supporting the stand. For every listener that kind of came and said uh, hello and said that they appreciate my work again, it it means the world to me. Um, as I think I've I've said in the past, like this little this little room. I'm trying to keep my sweat sweat stains down because it's quite warm. But this little room where I can touch all four sides from sitting in this chair can often feel like a, a prison cell of my own creation. So to know that my uh, self flagellation, it's an interesting way of putting it, and my sort of I guess sacrifice and my persistence and obsession in this space isn't um you know going unheard isn't going unappreciated so again thank you all so much we'll uh wrap up here folks uh so yeah if you enjoyed this please do give us a like a share subscribe uh i don't know what else you do on various other platforms i think you subscribe on spotify these days i think a couple of hundred of you already do so, uh, yeah, on any platform, give us a rating, give us an honest review of what you think, you know, take a couple of seconds if you don't mind, just tap, tap, tap it out. Uh, yeah, I appreciate all your feedback as always. appreciate all the support. Uh, if you really want to support the channel, do check us out, uh, the channel and the podcast, the whole project I've got going here. Check us out on patreon.com forward slash The Simple Life, where for less than a cup of coffee, coffee, coffee? cup of coffee a month, uh, you can keep this little project of mine going. I mean, I'm going to keep it going anyway, but to not run it in a deficit would be beneficial um yeah all social media platforms at the simple life uh i'll be uh doing a write-up on simplelife.com for the event and yeah i'll share the videos when they become available from the panels from last weekend's product death yeah we'll be back next week with a guest somebody it'll be fun you'll enjoy it i'll enjoy it and we'll hopefully learn some new shit together all right folks you be beautiful take it easy peace and love